1: he's not a dummy he sees your weaknesses he's not running around with a blindfold on listen to me this guy sees if it isn't satan it's one of his demons and that's what it is it's it's probably a demon if it's satan himself then you're probably somebody way up the ladder that he wants to take out and destroy and bring defamation to the name of christ but he sees He sees what you watch. He sees what you do on your computer. He knows the weaknesses. He he can calculate stuff. You think that an unbeliever has control over their lives? They don't. They are being influenced by demonic influences. I may have been bad. People coming out of new creations may have been bad. But if somebody doesn't know God and is not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they are being used as a pawn. By Satan. And you need to understand that. He's not a dummy. He does things methodically. He's got evil schemes. And not only that, he's not just calculated in his onslaughts, but he's also organized. Look at the verse 12, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces. It speaks of a hierarchy. It's not chaos in the demonic world like some people paint it out to be that demons are running around out there with their you know like chickens with their head cut off and they're just everything's unorganized and everything else no there is a hierarchy there is an organized army out there there are principalities which was used of strong leaders in esv it uses uh, rulers there are authorities And the only reason you can have authorities and things like that is if you are an authority over something. And so when you look at this list, the issue is not to try and dissect every word and attach it to something. The idea that Paul is trying to get across is, man, this is organized. God has his organization. He has archangels. He's got cherubim. He's got his organization that flows down. He's got his flow chart, but so does Satan. Satan. It is organized. It is organized. The location of the war needs to be noted too because the location is in the heavenlies. So he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places again in ephesians this is the only place you're going to find this word there's five times it's used in ephesians and it's a significant word it's seen in ephesians 1 3 chapter 1 verse 6 chapter 1 verse 20 chapter 2 verse 6 chapter 3 verse 10 chapter 6 verse 12 it highlights the importance of the word and we can't dissect that now but let me say this the heavenly places is the unseen world That's what you're talking about. This is why this war is unconventional. When terrorism came out and they said, you know, our enemy has no face. It isn't fought with soldiers in uniform at a specific location on a battlefield. That the war is unconventional. We don't know where they're going to strike. We don't know who they are. That type of thing. The same thing applies here. The spiritual battle that's going on is so unconventional. Because you don't see everything that's going on. You know, if God can give us glasses, like 3D glasses, you go to the movie and you put them on, and you see everything three-dimensional. What if God had glasses, gave them to you, and you see everything in the spiritual world? You would be surprised at some of the demons around dining tables. You would be surprised at some of the demons in living rooms. You would be surprised at some of the demons in the car. It's crazy, but it is the unseen world, and that's where the war Is taking place is in the heavenlies now we see a picture of this in the book of Daniel in the book of Daniel we see of a man named Daniel who was just committed to the Lord from an early age as a teenager gets hauled into Babylon and the guy was so deep and the guy was so wise he was exalted to leadership in Babylon people respected him people revered him because of his relationship with God when they outlawed prayer he prayed three times a day. The Bible says he would open up his window and he prayed three times a day towards Jerusalem because that's what Jews did. They opened up the window. They would face Jerusalem when they would pray wherever they were at in the world because that was their homeland. Jerusalem was their capital. The temple resided there and everything else. So Daniel was a man of prayer, constantly praying Constantly seeking the Lord for his people. And even had a heart that he included himself in with the repentance. But he's in prayer. And listen to what the Bible says in chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. It says, Then he said to me, This is the angel that's being sent to Daniel after he prays. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. Now look at that. The first time he humbled his heart and the first time he began to pray, his prayer prayer was heard. Okay? And God sends an angel. There's an angel that's dispatched. But watch what it says. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me For I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now, this is where people get territorial spirits from. That there's a hierarchy, that there's some angels ruling over other territories, and I'm not going to get into that for the moment. What I want you to see right now is the fact that this angel was opposed for 21 days, and the war, the hand-to-hand combat with this other angel was so severe that God dispatched Michael to go help him. Michael was a warrior angel. He goes and, uh, you know, puts the brother down, gives him a beat down, I guess, and then the other one shows up. And he finally makes it, but 21 days, right? Sometimes we want our prayers answered right away. We don't know what's going on in the heavenlies. Daniel prays, his heart is humble. God heard his prayer from day one, but there was a 21-day battle that took place before the angel even showed up. So we don't know what's going on in the heavenlies, but we know this much, that there are powerful angels that are are powerful demons that are more powerful than some angels, and then God has angels that are more powerful than those demons, and God is more powerful than all of them, which is a great thing, amen? So, heavenlies, very real place, Something that you don't see, but nevertheless is real and where the combat really takes place. And when people begin to understand that, they begin to understand how to do warfare, not with their fists, but on their knees. Not with their fists closed, but with their hands like this. And they begin to pray because they understand. There's an understanding there that, man, when I pray, God hears when i pray i'm not just entering into a, a grace around the table when i pray i am interceding and there's powers that are at war right now because of that when parents really get that it changes the way they parent when parents really get that it changes the way they pray for their children understanding that even when they go on to public school campuses that satan or demons are going to hit them from any angle they can to try and feed their mind filled with lies that are contrary to God's Word and opposed to the will of God. It changes things. But sometimes the delay in your prayers is because there's a war going on that you don't see. And for whatever purposes and for whatever reasons are going on in the heavenlies, only God knows. You need to get it. You need to get it. 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, verses 3 to 4. For though we walk in the flesh, pinch the person next to you. Hard. And I guarantee it, they are flesh. But we don't wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe in all that was said so far? Do you even believe that? Do you believe that what the Bible says about heavenly places is real do you believe what the bible says about principalities rulers authorities cosmic power do you believe that now don't answer this question answer it inside how long is your prayer life because that's what's going to determine your belief in the seriousness and the severity of that war Satan can attack physically, as we see in the book of Job. He can bring sickness. Satan can bring destruction to even finances. Satan can even take out families, as we see all this just in the first couple chapters of Job, really. He had to get permission from God. But Satan is able to do these things. And what, who are we to think we could stand up against him? Who, and, who, who are we to even think that we have a, a chance to win any battle? Because none of your intellect, none of your strength, nothing you've been trained for in the world could ever, ever get you anywhere with Satan. In fact, he applauds that. He applauds people that are selfish sufficient graduate yeah you know I've done that yay C.S. Lewis said there's two equal and opposite views when it comes to the devil and demons one is to disbelieve in their existence the other is to believe and to have an excessive and unhealthy interest in them the devil and his demons are equally pleased by both errors but man that's what you have to ask yourself if i really believe what the bible says what does my prayer life look like because action backs up our beliefs not our words action always backs up our convictions the third thing that i want you to see is we need to realize the victory in spiritual warfare. We don't just realize the reality of spiritual warfare, we just don't realize the severity of spiritual warfare, but we need to realize the victory. Even though we're in a war, we have to believe that the victory is ours, and I'll get to that in just a second. But some people talk about Satan so much, and they, they live their lives in such a way that they're almost a defeated christian you would think because every time you run into them and you talk to them well satan did this well satan did this and satan did that and on and on and on and everything's given to satan but i'd hear nothing about jesus and you know what on my computer in fact you can check me on this one afterwards on this these are my notes check me on this on my computer i don't type satan with a capital s and my spell check picks it up. And it bothers me to no end because I don't know how to take it off. But I'll type and I got these red marks under there and it drives me nuts because it tells me I misspelled that. But I get up and I yell at the computer, I refuse to give Satan a capital S. But Jesus, I give a capital J too. So, and see, that's what we need to understand is that the victory is ours. Okay, listen to me now this takes a little, watch this now. We don't fight for victory. You ready for this? We fight from victory. Isn't that good? Listen to me. It doesn't matter what Satan does. You see, Jesus Beat him with a stick on the cross, as the shirt says, right? <laughs> and we need to realize that, that even though the war is severe, and even though we're in this spiritual battle, we know where the victory is. The victory is in Christ, right? So we don't need to go around giving Satan glory for everything. I want to give Jesus glory. Amen? So, without dismissing the fact that Satan is powerful... We don't underestimate his power. We don't underestimate his capabilities. We don't underestimate his attacks. But Jesus is greater. And I'll tell you where it's seen. Colossians 2.15 says, Of the cross, Christ going to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, the imagery that Paul uses there puts them to open shame. That was used of when Rome would conquer an opponent. They would parade the defeated army down the streets and people would look at them. And it was a shame. I mean, the generals that were defeated by Rome would be walking there with their heads down and they would have to be paraded in front of the citizens of Rome. Rome saying, we beat you, but we're not just going to beat you. We're going to put you to shame. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. We don't fight for victory We fight from victory. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Okay? Now, and you were held in death, by the way. You were held in death. Satan had that power over you, but the minute you became a Christian because of what Christ did, dying in the flesh, flesh and blood on the cross and securing your salvation through paying your debt, then that death no longer applies to you. You now have the victory in Christ because the minute you die, you don't really die. You just transition into glory with God. Okay, Now, that can't be said of an unbeliever because even the unbeliever, Satan's thrown into the lake of fire, which is called the second death. Even though there's eternal torment, it's referred to as death that's the last enemy that jesus takes care of for you and i and you see that when you close your eyes and quit breathing and your brain quits functioning and your lungs quit you just transition into the presence of jesus in the same spirit as on the cross when the thief on the cross recognized who jesus was called him lord jesus says to him when you die right pretty much he says Today you will be in paradise with me. Not the second death, not another death coming down the road. No, you will be in paradise with me. And so, Romans 8.37, now watch this. This is important. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. What does it say? Through Him, right? You're not just a conqueror, but you're more than a conqueror, but through who? Jesus. Jesus god's word tells us that we're not just conquerors we're more than conquerors but it's always through him because the minute you become a christian you're now tethered to jesus hey hey, how many have ever played tetherball before right oh man if you didn't if you've never played tetherball you're missing it every playground has tetherball on it right in fact, if you've not played before, I challenge you after church. We'll go right down here to Harding School, and we're going to play tetherball because you have to at least do it once in your life. And if you've not played, just line up. Hit me up at the 4 We'll show up about 1 o'clock, and we'll play a game of tetherball. The idea of tetherball is the ball is tied to the rope, and the rope is tied to the pole, and you beat it. <laughs> right? Talk about good anger management. People, have them play tetherball. They don't need to go to anger management classes. Just have them play tetherball so here's the thing that ball takes a beating the first one who gets it wrapped around the pole in their direction is the one who wins the game so you're just beating that ball the other guy's beating that ball and that's what tetherball is but that also can be what christian warfare is because you're the ball watch this you're the ball the holy spirit is the rope and jesus is the pole so no matter how bad satan beats you you're still tethered to the pole right? All right. We don't fight in our own power. We fight in God's power. So listen to me now. This too is important. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory, but we don't fight in our power. We fight in God's power. And that's what he gets at with this armor. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strong, right? Finally, be strong, now, this is going to speak of our preparation first. Being strong is not nothing new in the Bible. When God's people at times are commanded to be strong, especially if you read the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you see it particularly in the life of Joshua. Over and over again, he's told to be strong. But here's a couple verses for you. In verse 31, chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, verse 23, And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun. And said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. Look what he tells Joshua. Joshua is going to take the baton from Moses. He's the guy who's going to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. Joshua 1.6, he's told again, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And then once again... Joshua 1.9, and this isn't all the times that Joshua Joshua's told this, but he's got a heavy responsibility. Joshua 1, nine, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So understand that we are commanded to be strong, but the resource to be strong is not in yourself. You don't pull up your bootstraps. The command is to be strong. What? What does it say? In the Lord. In the Lord. To be strong in the Lord. In other words, we're called to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Do you realize that? That Jesus is the resource. That if I need gas for my truck, I'm not going to go to Vons. I'm going to go to the gas station. If I need gas in my truck, I'm not going to go to Big Five. I go there to get hunting stuff. If I need gas in my truck, I'm going to the gas station. If you need to be strong, you need to be strengthened in the Lord. He's a resource for our strength. Okay? Now watch. David did this because David was a man after God's own heart. It's mentioned twice in Scripture about him being a man after God's own heart. And when you read the Psalms he wrote, you know this guy was going to God constantly and continually. Some of the songs he wrote were amazing. But look at 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. This is when David is at a low moment in his life and he's distressed. It says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David did what? Strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That's what we're supposed to do. This is why when you see the reality of spiritual warfare, you understand, man, there's nothing in me that can gain this victory. There's nothing in me that can push through the spiritual opposition that I'm facing on this world, in this world. The only thing I can do is be strong in the Lord, okay? The Holy Spirit can empower me, but so many people quench the Holy Spirit in their lives or they grieve the Holy Spirit in their lives and they know nothing of the power of the Holy Spirit in pushing through spiritual opposition in their lives. Now, we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord through prayer. After, you know, you read the whole armor of God, the last thing that's mentioned is the sword of the Spirit in verse 17. But look what he says in verse 18. This is a scripture that a lot of people forget to read. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. In other words, put on the armor of God, but praying at all times in the Spirit. How many know how to pray in the Spirit? That's a sermon in itself. So often we pray in the flesh, and we ask for fleshly things, and we ask for selfish desires without even knowing what it means to pray in the Spirit. Now, we can strengthen ourselves through knowledge and obedience of God's Word. We saw that with Jesus When he was being tempted in the wilderness, 40 days he was out there, and Satan came at him and tried to attack him, tempted him to try and disobey his heavenly Father, and he never did that. But he fought back by quoting the Word of God. We find strength in the Word of God. Whenever you open up the Bible and you begin to read the Bible, you find strength. Over and over again, I've heard testimony. From some of you out there that you said, man, I was going through a difficult situation. I read something in the Old Testament and God spoke to me. Something about winning a battle or whatever it was. God spoke to you and He strengthened you at that moment.